Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Creepypasta Myths. I'm your host, Andrew. Please enjoy tonight's creepy reading. Let's begin. Abandoned by Disney. Written by Anonymous. Some of you may have heard that the Disney Corporation is responsible for at least one real live ghost town. Disney built this Treasure Island Resort in Baker's Bay in the Bahamas. It didn't start as a ghost town. Disney's cruise ships would actually stop at the resort and leave tourists there to relax in luxury. This is a fact. Look it up. Disney blew $30 million on this place. Yeah, $30 million. Then they abandoned it. Disney blamed the shallow waters, too shallow for their ships to safely operate, and there was even blame that the cast of the workers, saying that since they were from the Bahamas, they were too lazy to work a regular schedule. That's where the factual nature of their stories ends. It wasn't because of sand, and it obviously wasn't because foreigners are lazy. Both are convenient excuses. No. I sincerely doubt these reasons were legitimate. Why don't I buy the official story? Because of Mowgli's Palace. Near the beachside city of Emerald Isle in North Carolina, Disney began construction of Mowgli's Palace in the late 1990s. The concept was a jungle-themed resort with a large, you guessed it, palace in the center of the whole thing. If you're unfamiliar with the character of Mowgli, then you might better remember the story The Jungle Book. If you haven't seen it anywhere else, Mowgli is an abandoned child in the jungle, essentially raised by animals and simultaneously threatened slash pursued by other animals. Mowgli's palace was a controversial undertaking from the start. Disney bought up a ton of high-priced land for the project, and there was actually a scandal surrounding some of the purchases. The local government claimed imminent domain on people's homes, then turned around and sold the properties to Disney. At one point, a home that had just been constructed was immediately condemned, with little to no explanation. The land grabbed by the government was supposedly for some fictional highway project. Knowing full well that was going on, people started calling it Mickey Mouse Highway. Then there was a concept art. A group of stuffed shirts from Disney Co. actually held a city meeting. They intended to sell everyone on how lucrative this project was going to be for everyone. When they showed the concept art, this gigantic Indian palace, surrounded by jungle, staffed with men and women, in loincloths, and tribal gear. Well, Suffice to say, everyone flipped their crap. We're talking about large Indian palaces, jungle, and loincloths. Not only in the center of a relatively wealthy area, but also a somewhat xenophobic area of the southern USA. It was a questionable mix at the point in history. One member of the crowd tried to storm the stage, but he was quickly subdued by security after he managed to break one of the presentation boards over his knee. Disney took that community and essentially broke it over its knee as well. The houses were raised, the land was cleared, and there wasn't a damn thing anyone could do or say anything about it. 
Local TV and newspapers were against the resort at the beginning. But some insane connection between Disney's media, holdings, and the local venue came into play, and their options turned on a dime. So anyway, Treasure Island, the Bahamas. Disney snuck those millions in, and then split. The same thing happened with Mowgli's place. Construction was complete, visitors actually stayed at the resort, the surrounding communities were flooded with traffic and the unusual annoyances associated with an influx of lost and irate tourists. Then it all just stopped. Disney shut it down and nobody knew what the hell to think. But they were pretty happy about it. Disney's loss was pretty hilarious and wonderful to a large group of folks who didn't want this in the first place. I honestly didn't give the place another thought since hearing it was closed over a decade ago. I live maybe four hours from Emerald Isle, so really I only heard the rumblings and didn't experience any of it firsthand. Then I read this article from someone who had explored the Treasure Island Resort and posted a whole blog about all the crazy crap he found there. Stuff just left behind. Things mashed, defaced probably ruined by the disgruntled former employees who had lost their jobs. Hell, the locals from all over probably had a hand in wrecking the place. People there felt just as angry about Treasure Island as folks here did about Mowgli's Palace. Plus, there were rumors that Disney had released their aquarium stock into the local waters when they closed, including sharks. Who wouldn't want to take a few swings at some merchandise after that? Well, what I'm getting at is that this blog from Treasure Island got me thinking. Even though many years had passed since its closing, I figured it might be cool to do some urban exploration at Mowgli's Palace. You know, take some photos, write about the experience, and probably see if there was anything I could take home as a memento. I'm not going to say I wasted no time in getting there, because honestly it took me another year after I first found the Treasure Island article to get around to going up to Emerald Island. Over the course of that year, I did a lot of research on the Palace Resort, or rather I tried to. Naturally, no official Disney site or resource made any mention of this place. They have been scrubbed clean. Even Otter however, was that nobody before myself had apparently thought to blog about this place or even post a photo. None of the local TV or newspaper sites had one word about this place, though that was to be expected since they had all swung Disney's way. They wouldn't be out there lauding their embarrassment, you know. Recently, I learned that corporations can actually ask Google, for example, to remove links from their search results. Basically, for no good reason. Looking back, it's probably not that nobody spoke of the resort, but rather their words were made inaccessible. So in the end, I could barely find the place. All I had to go on was an old as hell map I'd received in the mail back in the 90s. It was a promotional item sent out to people who had recently been to Disney World. And I guess since I had been there in the late 80s, that was recent. I didn't really intend to hang onto it. It just got shoved into my books and comics from my childhood. I'd only remembered it a few months ago into my research. 
and even then it took me another few weeks to locate the storage bin my parents had shoved it all into. But I did find it. Locals were no help, as most were transplants who had moved to the beach in recent years, or old residents who just sneered at me and made rude gestures the second I managed to say, where would I find Mowgli's... yeah. The drive took me through an indolently long corridor of overgrowth. Tropical plants that had run rampant and overpopulated the area mixed with native species, a flora that actually belonged there and had tried to reclaim the land. I was at awe when I reached the front gates of the resort. Tremendous monolithic wooden gates, who must have been cut by angels themselves. The gate itself had been gouged in several places by woodpeckers and eaten away at the base by burrowing insects. Hanging on the gate was a sheet of metal, some random scrap with hand-painted letters scrawled in black, abandoned by Disney. Clearly the handiwork of some local or an employee who wanted to make some small protest. The gates were open enough to walk through, but not drive. So grabbing my digital camera and the map, whose flip side showed a layout of the resort, I set off on foot. The inner grounds of the place were just as overgrown as the entryway. Palm trees stood unattended and ragged among piles of their own coconuts. Banana plants similarly stood in their own sinking, bug-riddled refuse. There was this sort of clash between order and chaos, as carefully planted rows of perianal flowers mixed with the obnoxious tall weeds and stinking blackened mushrooms. All that remained of an outdoor structure were broken. Rotting wood and various charred bits of unidentifiable material, what as most likely an information booth or an outdoor bar, was now simply a pile of assorted debris chopped up with the past vandalism and ravaged by the weather. The most interesting thing on the grounds was a statue of Baloo, the friendly bear from the Jungle Book, which stood in a sort of courtyard in front of the main building. He was frozen in a juvial wave toward no one, staring into empty space with a silly, toothy grin as bird crap covered the whole swaths of his fur and vines ensnared his platform. I approached the main building, the palace, only to find the outside of the building covered in graffiti where the original paint hadn't peeled and chipped away. The front doors were just open, they had been taken off their hinges and were stolen. Above the front doors were the gaping maw where they had been. Someone had once again painted, abandoned by Disney. I wish I could tell you about all of the awesome stuff I saw inside the palace. Forgotten statues, abandoned cash registers, a full-fledged secret society of homeless bums. But no. The inside of the building was so stark, so bare, that I actually think people had stolen the molding off the walls. Anything that was too big to steal, counters, desks, giant fake trees, they were all resting amid this empty echo chamber that amplified my every step like a slow rat-a-tat of a machine gun. I checked the floor plan and headed to all the locations that might seem in any way interesting. The kitchen was as you'd imagine, 
an industrial food prep area with all the appliances in space. No expenses spared. Every glass surface was broken. Every door knocked off its hinges. Every metal surface kicked and dented. The entire place smelled like very old piss. The huge freezer, not even remotely cool now, had row upon row of empty shelf space. Hooks hung from the ceiling, probably from hanging cuts of meat, and as I stood inside for a moment, I noticed they were swinging. Each hook swung in a random direction, but their movements were so slow and small that it was almost impossible to see. I figured it had been caused by my footsteps, so I stopped one from swinging by clutching it in my fist, then carefully letting go. But within seconds, it started to swing once more. The public restrooms were in much the same state as the rest of the place. Just like the Treasure Island Resort, someone had smashed each porcelain toilet with coconuts and other implements. There was also about half an inch of rancid, stinking, stagnant water on the floor, so I didn't stay there very long. What's odd is that the toilets and the sinks, yes, also in the ladies' room, I went in there, all dripped, leaked, and just ran freely. It seemed to me that they should have shut the water off long, long ago. There were plenty of rooms in the resort, but naturally I didn't have time to look through them all. The few I did peer into were similarly wrecked, and I didn't expect to find anything there. I thought there was an actual television or radio in one room, as I really think I heard a quiet conversation coming out. Though it was like a whisper, probably my own breathing echoing in silence, or just another case of the sound of flowing water playing tricks on my mind. This is what it sounded like. Number one, I didn't believe it. Number two, short unknown replies. Number one, I didn't know that. Number two, your father told you. Number one, unknown reply, or possibly just weeping. I know, I know, it sounds ridiculous. I'm just telling you what I experienced. Why I thought that there might have been something running in that room or worse some vagrants who had held up the place and probably would have knifed me. At the front door of the palace again, I figured I hadn't found anything of note and had wasted the trip up. As I looked out the door, I noticed something interesting in the courtyard that I had apparently missed. Something that would give me at least one thing to show for all my trouble, even if it just was a photograph. There was a lifelike statue of a python, maybe 15 feet long, coiled up and sunning itself on a pedestal, right in the center of the area. It was almost time for the sun to start setting, so the light fell onto the object in a perfect way for a photograph. I approached the python and snapped a photo, then I stood on my toes and snapped another. I moved closer again to get details on its face. Slowly casually, the python lifted its head, looked directly into my eyes, turned, and slithered off the pedestal. 
across the grass and into the trees. All 50 feet of it. Its head long disappeared into the woods before its tail even left the sunning spot. Disney had released all their toxic animals onto the grounds. Right there on the floor plan map was the reptile house. I should have known. I've read about the sharks at Treasure Isle, and I should have known they've done this. I was dumbfounded, just utterly stupefied. My mouth must have been hanging open for the longest time before I came back down to earth and snapped it shut. I blinked a few times and backed away from where the snake had been, back toward the palace. Even though it was totally gone, I still wasn't taking any chances and backed my way into the building. It took a few deep breaths and slaps to my face to get myself right in the head again after that. I looked for a place to sit down as my legs were feeling a bit like jelly at this point. Of course, there was no place to sit unless I wanted to recline in the broken glass and dead leaf carpet or haul myself into a desk of questionable reliability. I had seen some stairs near the palace lobby and decided to go and have a seat there until I felt better. The staircase was far enough away from the front of the building to be relatively clean, save for the startling accumulation of dust. I pulled a wedge of metal off the wall, once again painted with the abandoned by Disney motto I'd become accustomed to. I placed the wedge on the stairs and sat on it to keep at least somewhat clean. The stairway led downward, below ground level. Using my camera flash as a sort of improvised flashlight, I could see that their staircase ended in a metal mesh door with a padlock. A sign on the door, a real sign, read, Mascots only, thank you. This perked up my spirits a little bit for two reasons. One, a mascots only area would have definitely had some interesting stuff back in the day. Two, the padlock was still in place. Nobody had gone down there. Not the vandals, not the looters, nobody. This was the only place that I could actually explore and perhaps find something interesting to photograph or want only steal. I had come to the palace essentially agreeing with myself that it was okay to take anything I wanted because, hey, it, it's abandoned. It didn't take much to bust the lock. Well, actually, that's wrong. It didn't take much to bust the metal plate on the wall that the padlock was hooked to. Time and decay had done most of the work for me, and I was able to bend the metal plate enough to pull the screws out of the wall, something nobody else had apparently thought of, or hadn't been able to do at that time. The mascot's only area was a startling and very welcome change from the rest of the buildings I've seen. For one, every second or third fluorescent light overhead was illuminated, even though they flickered and faded randomly. Also, nothing had been stolen or broken, even if age and exposure were definitely taking their toll. Tables had no pads and pens. There were clocks. Even a punch-in clock on the wall complete with a fill-out card. Chairs were scattered around and there was an even small break room with an old static-filled television and long, rotted-out food and drinks on the counters. 
It was like one of those post-apocalyptic movies where everything is left in the state of evacuation. As I walked the maze-like sub-basement hallways of the mascot-only area, the sights just became more and more interesting. As I went further, desks and tables were knocked over, paper scattered and almost melded with a damp floor, and a large carpet of mold was slowly overtaking the real rotting crimson floor covering. Everything was just sort of squishy. Anything wood, disgusting, turned into mush when I applied even the least amount of force, and clothing items hanging on hooks in one of the rooms simply fell to moist threads if I tried to unhook them. One thing that annoyed me was the light was becoming more sparse and unreliable. As I went further into the dank, suffocating depths of this place. Eventually, I reached a black and yellow striped door with the words Character Prep 1 stenciled on it. The door wouldn't open at first. I figured there was probably where the costumes were kept, and I definitely wanted a photograph of that twisted, stinking mess. Try as I might, however, angle or trick I tried, the door wouldn't budge. That is, until I gave up and started to walk away. That was when there was a slight popping sound, and the door creaked open slowly. Inside, the room was completely dark, pitch black. I used the camera flash to look for a light switch on the wall by the door, but there was nothing. As I made my search, I was jarred out of my senses of excitement by a loud electric buzz. Rows of light overhead suddenly flashed to life, flickering and fading in and out like the rest I had passed. It took a second for my eyes to adjust, and it seemed like the light was going to keep getting brighter until the bulbs exploded. But just when I thought it would reach the critical stage, the lights dimmed a bit and steadied. The room was exactly as I had pictured it. Various Disney costumes hung on the walls, fully put together like strange cartoon cadavers hung from invisible noses. There was an entire rack of loincloths and native clothes on hangers towards the back. What I found odd, and what I wanted to photograph right away, was Mickey Mouse and his costume. At the center of the room, unlike the other costumes, it was lying on its back in the center of the floor, like a murder victim. The fur of the costume was rotting and shedding, creating bare patches. What was even more odd, however, was the coloring of the costume. It was like a photo negative of the actual Mickey Mouse, black where he should be white, and white where he should be black. His normally red pants was a light blue. The sight was off-putting enough that I actually postponed photographing the thing until last. I took a picture of the costumes hanging on the walls, upward angles, downward angles, side shots to show the entire row of frozen, putrid cartoon faces some with plastic eyes missing. Then I decided to stage a shot, just one of the bedraggled character heads on the slick, grimy floor. I reached for a headpiece of a Donald Duck costume and carefully removed it so the thing wouldn't fall apart in my hands. As I looked into the face of the wide-eyed, moldering head, a loud clattering sound made me jump with fright. I looked down at my feet, and there between my shoes was a human skull. It had fallen out of the mascot's head 
and shattered into pieces at my feet. Only the empty face and lower jaw remained, staring up at me. I dropped the Donald Duck head immediately, as you'd expect, and moved to the door. As I stood in the doorway, I looked back to the skull on the floor. I had to take a picture of it, you know? I had to. For any number of reasons that may seem silly, but only if you don't think it through. I need proof of what happened, especially if Disney was going to somehow make this go away. I had no doubt in my mind right from the start that even if it was just gross negligence, Disney was responsible for this. This was why the resort had closed, and I was the only one outside Disney's company who knew. That's when Mickey, that photo negative opposite Mickey in the middle of the floor, started to get up, first sitting up, then climbing to its feet. The Mickey Mouse costume, or whoever was inside of it, stood there at the center of the room, its fake face just staring directly at me, and it mumbled, no. over and over and over, with shaking hands, a violently thrashing heart, and legs that had just once again turned into jelly, I managed to lift the camera and aim at the opposite creature now quietly, sizing me up, head tilted. The digital camera screen displayed only dead pixels in the shape of the thing. It was a perfect silhouette of Mickey Mouse's costume. As the camera moved in my unsteady hands, the dead pixels spread, mirroring the screen wherever Mickey's outline moved to. Then the camera died, went blank and quiet and broken. I raised my eyes once again to the Mickey Mouse costume. Hey. It said in a hush, perverted, but perfectly executed Mickey Mouse voice. Wanna see my head come off? It started to pull at its own head, working its clumsy, glove-clad fingers around its neck with clawing, impatient movements similar to a wounded man trying to pull himself free of a predator's jaw. As it worked its digits into its neck, so much blood, so much thick, curled, yellow blood. I turned away as I heard a sickening tear of cloth and flesh, only cared about getting away. Above the doorway, out of this room, I saw the final message clawed into the metal with bone or fingernails. Abandoned by God. I never got the pictures out of the camera. I never wrote the blog entry about it. After I ran from that place, fled for my sanity, if not my very life, I knew why Disney didn't want anyone to know about this place. They didn't want anyone like me getting in, but they didn't want anything like that getting out. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to. If you haven't done so yet, please do a review. It helps me out. Everything that I use is in the description below. Thank you again for listening to Creepypasta Myths. I'll see you guys next week with a brand new episode.